Good. Uh, no, it's good to be back. I, I lived. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping a low profile. Go ahead and say that. Uh, I'm keeping a low profile because there's something wrong with you people. Um, it's like you see somebody in a sling and you go, I think I should punch them in the shoulder. What is wrong with you? Uh, and so we do have trained security and they will tase you if it even looks like you're going to hug me, just so you know. And I have a concealed carry taser right here. And so... Uh, no, it's really good to be back. Hey, if you haven't been around the last uh, few weeks, first of all, give it up for Ben Foote. He's been knocking it out the last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he'll, he'll be so mad that I did that, but he's, he's uh, and he has a baby coming December 20th, my fifth grandkid, by the way. Yeah, anyway, so, all right, so let's get into this. Can, uh, so we've been in this series, this is week six of this series, we're asking this question, can people really change? And what we're, we're, what we're recognizing is that, that you know, we can pull off external change for a while if we try hard, you know, we, we can behave different for a little while. But, but the, the, the reality is, is that if anything's going to really change in our lives, something has to change on, on the inside. Right? Even Jesus says that everything we do and say is really an overflow of what's going on in here. So if we want our marriage to change, if we want our family to change, if we want our addictions to change, things like that, it, it's not just stop doing things or start doing things. It's something needs to change inside of, of, of me, right? So, so we've been taking like, like the most important parts of our life. And, and I'm sure we've missed some, but, but we're, we're trying to hit like well, the, the big ones, like you know, the, the most important things where the stakes are, are the highest. And we're running each part of this life through these, like these five words or these five steps or these five fill whatever you want to call them. If you have your program with you, it's week six. You should know by now. Get a program, all right? There's, there's five, five boxes on your program, and we're running all the parts of our life through these words or, or through these steps to see if anything can really, really change. And there's, if for things to change in our life, there's things that only God can do. They're, they're beyond our pay grade. We just can't fix those parts of our life. But then there's a response to that, too, that is, that is ours. And so if you look at that, that, that on your program, the first word is this. It's, it's grace. And here's the reality folks. We all have parts of our life that we go, you know what, what I'm doing and what I'm believing and what I'm holding on to, it's different than what God says is right and true and good. We all have that. And that by definition is sin. Okay. I believe I'm doing, I'm holding on to a belief about myself, about other people, about God. And it's different than what God says is true. I don't know when it started. I don't know how long I've been doing it, but it's not working. And that by definition is sin. So the first thing we need to do, whatever part of our life is, is go, first of all, God, will you forgive me? So grace that forgives, okay? Because we, we were not meant to carry around guilt and shame and condemnation. It might, it might get our attention, but then we need to get rid of it and move on, all right? So we ask, ask God to forgive us. There's other parts that this grace helps us is, is there's parts of our life we've been doing it for so long. It, it owns us. We would look at things that are addictions and, and behaviors and, and, and the way we've been acting, things like that, and go, you know what? I cannot even picture my life not doing that. Or not having that. And that same grace, Jesus, Jesus says, it's like it can break the chains of, of that addiction. It can break the chains that, that, that hold on to you and now make freedom possible. It can open the door to make freedom possible. But then there's the other part that this grace that we can talk about is this, is there are things that are going on in our life. We might be a Christian or, or whatever, you know, but, but we know it's wrong, but we've been doing it for so long. We feel so ashamed. Like, like the idea of having a conversation with God is the last thing we want to do. And we feel disconnected. And I'm not talking about we feel unsaved. We might feel that way. We're not, all right? Once you're saved, you're saved, okay? You don't screw up Tuesday and become unsaved. But I just feel so embarrassed and ashamed. I don't feel like I can even talk to him. And he feels like a million miles away. This same grace has the ability not just to forgive us, not just to set us free, but actually to bring us close again. So we can have friendship and intimacy with God. So the first part of that we're going to talk about would be this. What well, the part of your life is, needs to go to that first word, grace. I need some forgiveness. I need some freedom. 
And I need some, I need, God, I need you back in my life, okay? So that's the first word. And then the, if you look at the, the next box, it's the same word, grace, because grace can be applied on several levels, meaning this, whatever's going on in this part of my life, what's, what is it about me on the inside that makes me do that or want that or continue to, to think like that? And so there's a part of me that's broken inside or, or you know, it's hurt or it's damaged or whatever that is. And I can't fix that. I, I, I can't read a book about it. I can't go to a counselor about it. I mean, all that will help. But if I could fix myself, I already would have. So there's, there's a part of it going, God, I need you to change me so that what comes out of me is different. And, and the, the, the last part of that is, and that's going to be hard. So when I get up out of this room in about 30 minutes, if I want my life to change and be different, I need some strength that I don't have that I need you to give me, all right? So th this is what we've been doing. So we've taken a, a, each part of our life and going, first I need a grace that forgives and then sets me free and then reconnects me to God. And then I need this grace to start changing and healing up what's broken inside of me. And then I need the strength to get up out of this room and go do life different, okay? So that, that, that is, that is part, that, what we're just talking about there. Only Jesus can do. We cannot do that on our own. And we look at the parts of our life that, that are coming to mind right now and we think, you know what? Even with Jesus' help, honestly, I don't, think, I don't think I can change. We've been using this metaphor for, for not all of our life, for parts of our life that we go, you know, that part of my life feels like it's just stuck or, or locked up. And, and we've been like, like, like a bird in a cage or a prisoner in a prison cell. My marriage is like this. My, my finances are like this. My, my family is like this. My health is like this. My whatever is like this. And it's been like this so, for so long. I don't even get my hopes up anymore. I just think about life in my prison cell because I just don't want to get my hopes up and get crushed again, all right? It's always going to be this way. So we've been looking at this verse out of the Bible. A guy named Paul wrote to some, some people. They claim to be Christians, but, but their life after they met Jesus is no different than their life before. I became a Christian. I'm pretty sure I'm going to heaven after I die. I'm still addicted. I'm still messing up this marriage like I did the last one. I'm still screwing up my parents or my kids or whatever that is. Nothing really has changed. And what Paul writes is this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And freedom absolutely applies to after I die, I don't go to hell and I go to heaven. But he's really talking about this life. It's for freedom, for that part of my life that I go, it's stuck, it's locked up. It's never, ever, ever gonna change. It's for freedom that Christ has done everything necessary to make us free. What has he done? He's given us grace that forgives, grace that sets us free, grace that, that, that gives us power, grace that, that brings intimacy with God, grace that changes and fixes us on the inside. So that's what Jesus has done. Now, what comes next? And the answer is our part. Our part, okay? Meaning this, all right? So Jesus had done all that. Here's, here's our response to that. Stand firm, therefore. What do you mean, therefore? Because Christ has set us free. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the, the prison cell, right? So we, we, we do something. It's not just sit on your couch and ask God to change you. I mean, you have to ask that. But then you get up off the couch and we do something. What? We stand firm. We do something different. We take action. It's, it's for freedom. It's for this new, better life that Christ has set us free I don't want to go back to the old ways. And, and here's the thing. I believe that the reason Paul wrote this is that he knows what a lot of us know. It's very possible to be a Christian. It's very possible to put your faith in Jesus and, again, have absolute certainty that after you die, you go to heaven. After you die, right? But it's, it's, it's possible to believe all that's true and still live like a slave today. Right? I'm free in Christ. I live like a slave every day. So what, what's my part now that Christ has made 
freedom possible in this part of my life. Well, here's our part. It's the same thing, the next word on your program. It's vision. You gotta, you gotta start thinking about what could my life look like if that part of my life was anything close to what Jesus said is right, true, and good. And the next word would be this, intent. Do I want that? What would I have to do? What would I have to change in order for me to have that, not just be a vision in my life, to become a reality in my life? And then this is the hard part. And then what's my strategy? What's my, what am I gonna do different? I know what I've done in the past, but what, I want, what do I need to start doing different to, so that that part of my life is different? And so, so we come to this part of, of, of this series. And this is the one I'm probably the most nervous about. All right, and, you know, and the reason a lot of you are still here because you didn't get a program, because <laughs> the word's right there, what we're going to talk about today. So can people really change when it comes to their financial world, all right? And, and so here's what you're going, what we're not going to talk about. Can people really change and make more money? That's a great talk. It's not my talk today, okay? Uh, is it possible for my income to go up? All right, those are not bad questions. I, that's not what I want to talk about today. I, I want to talk about money in the same way that we've talked about every, every other part of our life. Because the truth is, is that money is just like every other behavior and every other thing that we do, it, it's just reflects something on the inside. What I spend my money on, how I, how I spend my money, how I, how I value money, the, the, the importance money has in my life, that just, that just reflects something that's going on, good or bad, on the inside. That's what Jesus Taught. So I want to talk about our financial world. Now, let's just take a time out really, really quick because we have the spectrum in this room, in four campuses. We have every financial situation you can imagine. We have rich people and poor people. We have old people. We have young people. We have married people. We have single people. We have 12-year-olds in here going, I don't have one. I don't have a financial world. Yes, you do. It's 10 bucks a month. You break the yard. There you go, okay? So, so you might be in retirement. You might be uh, you know, just married or, or single or... Now you're single, you were married, whatever. I don't know, but when I talk about financial world, here's all I mean. Again, whether you're eight or 80, all right? You have this, this many dollars coming in, and then you like make a choice, and then you send them somewhere. That, that's, that's your financial world, okay? So you might have lots of them coming in. I don't know what to do with all those. Come see me. All right, so, so you have this much money coming in, you make, you make a choice, and then you, you point it out. Again, you have $10 coming in a month because you rake your parents' yard or something like that. What do I do with this $10? That's your financial world. But here's what I want to do. I want to take whatever your financial world looks like, and I want to put them through those five steps, except today I want to start at the bottom. I want to start with strategy, and then I want to work our way backwards because what we found is that whatever our strategy is, it just reflects something going on inside. Okay, so here's the, the first intrusive question. And you might want to leave now. Again, it's, it's going to get bad. I'm just telling you, all right? Because so, it's really convicting. I, I would even say this. If you'll lean into this talk today, other than your decision to become a Christian, this talk has the most potential to change your life. All right? So, so and I'll, I'll explain that more in a, in a minute. But here's a horrible question. All right, strategy. What is and where has your current financial strategy led you or where is your current financial strategy leading you? Where are you going? All right? Now, now here's what the question is not. Well, if I'd gotten that job, then my strategy would have been, eh, you didn't get the job. That's not your strategy, okay? Well, if I hadn't got divorced or if, if our furnace hadn't gone out, if the car hadn't done this, if my kids hadn't done this or whatever, but you know what? They did. You did. That's your reality, okay? So where are you right now? Because whatever you've done in the past... However, you, the dollars have come in and whatever amount, you didn't get to choose that, but you made a choice and you sent them out. Whatever that strategy is, it has worked perfectly to land you in this. This is your life. 
This is, your, this is your financial life. And that might be good or bad. You might be like, I have so much money. Some of you going, I don't know if we're gonna eat today. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. But some of us will look and go, it's, it's a prison. It, it's stressing me out. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm locked I'm locked up. Now, here's where I start, why I start with strategy and not with, you know, you know, our hearts and what God wants for our lives and like that. Because this, this consumes everything. We don't have time for anything else. Even think about the other four things because, because I, I, again, I'm not a prophet, but if you're anything like me, sorry, but here, here's what I mean by that, is that I bet you spent more time stressing out about money than anything else you stressed out about this week. You spent more time worrying about and thinking about what am I going to do? I, I would bet that, that most of the fights you had with the most important person in your life was about money. Right? Maybe it's with your spouse. You know, what are we going to do? Or how could you spend that? Or why did you buy that? Or whatever that is. I, I, with, your, with your kids, you look at your kids and go, you know, you don't appreciate anything, blah, blah, blah. And, your parents, and you look at your parents and go, you're so cheap and you don't, whatever that is, okay? That's just all hypothetical, I'm sure. But, you know, but, but you had more arguments. I would even say this. You feel more guilt and more shame and more embarrassment and right now more anger when it comes to money than any other part of your life. And anger, what I found in my life, is really about fear and shame. It just comes out as, as anger. So why are we starting with strategy? Because everything else feels irrelevant. Why even ask? This is my life. Right? right so that's my strategy. So let me want to talk about intent. Here's a dumb question. Do I want it to change? Yeah, yes. But why even ask the question? Because you look at your financial world and go, yeah, of course I would like it to change. I wish I didn't have that debt. I wish I wasn't in that situation right now. But why ask the question? It's not going to change. Not unless I hit Powerball this week. I'm telling you, it's just not going to change. So why even ask, do you want it to change? Followed by this. What's the vision for your financial world? Win the lottery. Duh. I mean, that, that's just it. But, but here's, here's the vision. I, I, again, I'm not a prophet, but here's, here's the vision for most of the room at all four of our campuses. Here's the vision for my financial world. Don't drown this week. Just tread water, right? Try not to disappoint my kids and, and let them down. Try not to make my wife angry or, or disappoint my husband, right? Here, here's the big one, because it's mid-November, folks. Try to get through Christmas without thinking about the bills in February. I'll think about them in March, right? I just, uh, all right, here's, here's the reality. Here's my vision. My car doesn't work. Every time I turn on my car, it's a miracle. Every time I get my kids home from school and we're all alive, that alone is proof there's God, I mean, right? Because it's just horrible. My furnace doesn't work. My house is cold, here, here's a great, here's a vision for my life. I have, I have school loan payments that come in the mail every month. My, my vision, my strategy, is I throw them away and pretend they're not real. That's a confession, right? And then I'll just deal with them, you know, when, when the, the stack gets big enough. Now, let me take another time out here because I know some of you, you wouldn't have come to church if, if you knew this is what we're going to talk about today. Some of you are going, I'll go get coffee and I'll be back in an hour, right? So that, that's, what we're, that's what we're thinking about right now. I get it. You hate it when every time you come to church, it feels like they talk about money. I get it. Me too. But most of us, we go, you know why I hate it when churches talk about money? Because I, you can point to this church and this church and this religion and this person on TV and all this kind of people, and they rip people off. I would say that religious organizations are the worst manipulators of people and, 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 and stealing and, and, and pressuring people to give money than any other organization on the planet, I think, I think religion is the worst. Can I just say that out loud, right? I'm on your side. So let's don't talk about church right now. We'll get to it in a minute. Let's just talk about Jesus. Is that fair, all right? So what kind of Jesus would he be? What kind of God would he be if he said, you know what, I don't want to, let's don't talk about money. Knowing the role that it plays in our life. Because other than the people that you love the most, 
Money is the second most most important part. So much so that when the money goes bad, it blows up the most important relationships. What kind of Jesus would he be? He says, let's don't talk about it, right? Here's what Jesus actually said about money. And whether you're a Christian or not, you, you believe this. Jesus taught that money reveals what a person loves the most. Remember when you were single, you had all that money and then you fell in love? And it's just gone, right? Because, because you spend it on her or him, whatever. Like, and then you, you know, it was just the two of you and you had all that money and then you had children, you know, and they're like so needy, you know, and so you have to give them all, all this money. So, so if, if I want to know what you love, just show me your bank statement, right? What do you love the most? That's where I'll get all, all your dollars. I, I'm addicted to that. <laughs> you love it. That's why it gets way too many dollars, This is my favorite hobby. It has to be. Why else would you point that many dollars at it, all right? So Jesus said that whatever a person loves, that's what they're going to spend their money on. He he did this, all right? Jesus taught this. He he said that that, that what money falsely promises to deliver, and we know that's true, yet we keep doing it. We we, we believe, and we know it's not true because it's never worked so far. If I have enough money, I'll be safe, I'll be secure, and everybody in my life will be happy. We really believe that lie, and then we get it, and it doesn't work. But Jesus taught that what money falsely promises to deliver has the power, when we chase that, to choke out God's word in a person's life. We spend so much time trying to to, to get to what money promises to deliver, even though it can't, we don't have time for God. I get it. Or or here's, I think we're good people. I really do. I think we look at God and go, God, I'm going to get back to you as soon as I pay for that and I get that paid off and and I get that taken care of. And you're next on the list. And you know what? That never gets taken care of. And it actually chokes out God in our life. That's... That's just huge. It's really hard to have faith when you don't even know how you're going to eat. Jesus said this, all right? Jesus said that a person cannot serve both God and money. And the first time I I studied this, I didn't expect him to say money. I thought he would say Satan because, you know what, that would be the the ends of the spectrum, right? You can't serve both God and Satan. But but, but here's what Jesus means is that Satan is is not God's biggest competition for your faith. Money is. Well, what do you mean by that? So what are you most stressed out about this week? Do you need more God in your life or more cash in your bank account? Which would make you feel better or safer or more secure if you get a thousand bucks unexpectedly in the mail on Monday or you got reminded about how much God's gonna take care of you? And the truth is, you cannot serve. And here's the other thing we looked at a couple weeks ago. The word serve, you can take that out. And it's the same words, you can't worship both God and money because what you worship, you prioritize. And what you don't worship goes down the list. So what are we worshiping with our time and our effort and our attention? What are we prioritizing more? Going and finding some more money or making sure that God and I are, are on the right track because you can't serve one. Jesus says, you'll love the one and the other one you just don't have time for. You'll hate. It's the leading, money is the leading metaphor. When Jesus is looking to, like, for, for something to compare what's going on in our spiritual life to something going on in our physical life, money is his number one. It's kind of like money over and over and over because we all have to... We all have to have money. We don't all have to have that. We don't all have to be married. We don't all have to have this or whatever. We all have to have money in our life. That's just a reality. As a matter of fact, look at this. Is that the word forgiveness, as in God, will you forgive me? And the financial term, cancel a financial debt, like Chase, you know, I paid off my debt, right? It's the same word. Forgive my sins and, f- and forgive my, f- my, my financial debt. It's the same word. They both translate, you, you no longer owe me anything anymore. It's a big deal, Finances are the number one thing that, that we argue about at my house. Finances are the number one thing that people get divorced over. 
They can't agree on that. Finances are the number one thing that you argue with, with, with your family members about. Finances are the number one thing that stresses you out, raises your blood pressure, you know, it ruins your life. It's the number one thing. We spent most of our week worrying and stressing out about how am I going to pay for that? Much more, much more than am I going to heaven or hell? Right? We spent all of our time. So what kind of Jesus would he be if he looked at us and went, yeah, you know what? I don't want anybody to feel awkward or weird, so we're not going to talk about it. You know what? He would be a very unloving, uncaring, mean God if he just looked at us and said, you know what? You know, other than the person that you, you know, call your husband, wife, son, or daughter, it's the most important thing. But again, we're not going to talk about it. Just good luck. Figure it out. What kind of God would that be? Because I look back at God and go, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, Lord, and I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well. So the question I want to look at is, what's really going on? And the, and the, and the thing is not, I, they don't pay me enough at my job or, or the, things are so expensive or it's the economy. That's not it. Because money is simply a reflection of something going on in here. So whether or not our income goes up or down, what we need to change internally inside of a person? Because I won't, I won't allow this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being self-protective here. You, I, I won't allow anybody to go, the reason that your money is not, you're not doing well with money is because you're a selfish, greedy, stupid person. Although that's what I've told myself in the mirror probably for the last three or four decades. How can you be so stupid? You must be a really, really selfish person because I see these other people out there. I, I, it has to be deeper than that. There has to be, and I would say that some of my choices are related to that, but, but, but the question is, what is it about how I spend my money and how I point my dollars and, and how I regard that reveals something that God needs to kind of work on inside of me? So here, we're going we're to do it different today, okay? So usually it's just me up here, just Ben up here, whatever that is, and, and we teach, you know, for the, for the whole time. But today we're going to do something different. We're going to do something different next week too, but I'm going to invite Michael Kane. So Michael, come on up. Michael is, our, is the CFO of, of our church, and we're, we're going to have a conversation. So, so he runs all the finances and signs of contracts and the HR stuff, and that's all I know that he does. Uh, uh, there's, there's more, I'm sure, but, uh, but he's the CFO of, 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 of Flatirons, okay? So... That, that's what he does professionally. On, on a personal level, uh, eight years ago, and some of you know my story about this, eight years ago, I walked into Michael's office with a big box of papers and envelopes and receipts and some stuff I didn't even know. It just had a bank thing on it. And so I just put it on a box and then I dumped it on his desk. And eight years ago, I would, I would say that uh, what I dumped on your desk could be described as that metaphor we're talking about. It, it was, I felt like I was in prison. I was in a hole, a pit, uh, and there's no way to get out. My, my plan to get out of the hole was to keep on digging, hmm. right? And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I dumped it out. And he, he, from that day, for the next six years, we walked from prison in, in, into freedom. So I would, say, I would say this. This is why I really want you to lean into this. I've made three great decisions in my life. First one, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. The second one, I asked Robin to be my wife. And the third one is I walked, I walked into his office and went, I need help. And Rob and I were talking about this last night when I, got, when I got home. And she says, Jim, we would still, we would still be in prison. And I wouldn't be the pastor of this church. And I don't, I'm not sure if we'd be married. I don't know if, where we would be. It's Jesus, my wife, and, and this, you're part of the Trinity, right? right? <laughs> wow. Wow, I just thought of that. But, uh, so Michael's job is CFO. He runs all the finances of, of this place. And but I, your, your office door is two down from mine, and I walk by your office every day, and most of the time I see you in there doing personal counseling for individuals, single moms, couples, all that kind of stuff, trying to figure this out. So what, 
Can you describe for, for us the, like the typical person that ends up in your office, what their strategy is and, and what's going on? Yeah, so I have a best friend whose name is Bob. Okay, I really don't. He's my best imaginary friend, Bob. Yeah. Um, he's he just has a, many imaginary <laughs> friends. It's so scary. He's just a culmination of all the people that I've, that I've, that I've talked to. So let me just walk you through Bob, right? <clears throat> maybe, that, maybe that'll stick. Um, so Bob wants to go to college. Uh, he enrolls at CU, but he doesn't have the money to, to pay for CU, and his parents don't have that either. So when he graduates from CU, he has $50,000 worth of student loans when he gets out. Then he, then he gets a job. And the paperwork that comes to Bob on that first day, you know, W-2, all the rest of that stuff, there's a, there's a paper in there that says, how much money do you want to give to retirement? You know, in your 401k or whatever that might be. And he goes, I, I'm 23. I've got 40 plus years to worry about that. I'll get to that later. Then he meets the woman of his dream. He gets married and they go buy a house based upon two incomes. And... Then a couple years go by, fast forward, and his wife tells him that she's pregnant and uh, she wants to cut It happens, and she wants to cut back at at work and she wants to go part-time. And rather than say, oh, honey, God has so richly blessed us, right? (laughs) I'm so happy. The first words out of Bob's mouth is, how how are we going to make our mortgage payment? Which, in Texas lingo, goes over like a turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> yeah. He said it. I did. Yeah. You, that's the only thing you've ever written down in church, turd in punch bowl. That's good. My mom taught me that. Your mom taught me that. My you. mama taught me that. Great. That's right. And so the kids, the kids grow up, and then eventually they look at each other and go, we, we need to sell our house because we need a, to be in a better neighborhood with better schools. And so they go buy that, that bigger house, and the box starts getting a little bit tighter around them. And they come here into Flatirons. They keep every time they, 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 that they go out of the, the church, they, they don't quite look the, the offering bucket holder in the eye because I'm going to get to you as God as soon as I get this mess straightened out, right? Yeah. And life just bumps along, right? You know, the, the kids need braces. Um, I need a new car because three car seats won't fit in the back of my Civic. That's a, that's a, I, I know that. That's a confession right yeah. here. Yeah. Um, the furnace goes out, you know, yada, 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 the vacations I need to do. I need to put my kids in sports league, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, I wake up and here I am today and I go, how did I get here? And, and again, Bob is a great guy. I love Bob. He's fun. He's kind. He didn't, he's not selfish or greedy. He just didn't really have that strategy, that vision, that intent. So, so stressed out. So, yeah. We've been talking about here over and over that Jesus said, I came to give you a life that's abundant and full and good, right? Mm-hmm. And it actually means something. And Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So what you're describing, like, like, like what's going on in a person's head when they, when they get in there? With, because it doesn't sound like abundant life no. to me. So what, what, what are they feeling? So let me, let me turn the tables and ask you, when you came to my office eight years ago, what did that feel like? Complete shame. Uh, embarrassment, and I felt like I was stupid and the worst husband and father. But I, I did the best I could. Yeah. Like I was, I, I just wanted to provide well. You're you not know? selfish or greedy or stupid, right? You just life just not happened. Always. Not, not always, uh, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but probably, if you put one word on it, it would be hopeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, this cannot be fixed. Um, right. So I brought that box in and dumped it out and. The first thing we did was, so let's just see what it is, mm-hmm. all right? And, yeah. and uh, so I had 20, 26 loans, 
uh, mostly school loans and then credit cards. So two things got me in your office. Because uh, usually you just have to hit a wall, right? Right. Before something happens. The first one is... Um, we were getting ready to start a building campaign to build this Lafayette campus so that we could build more campuses down the, down the road. And I was sitting in my family room, and, and I, I knew I was getting ready my talk ready for that weekend. And I said, hey, Rob, my wife's Robin. And I said, hey, Rob, um, we, we've got to get back to tithing. And she said, what do you, what do you mean get back? I went, oh, let's watch TV. And, uh, so hold on. So, so, so how'd that go over? Turned in a punch bowl. Yeah. 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 And she, she looked at me and she was like, I trusted you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And so I, I was about to go up on stage and tell people, um, hey, I, I, I'm going to ask you to rearrange your financial world so that we can build this building and then campuses and, and, and take the gospel out. But I, uh, but I don't do that. Yeah. So I, I don't tithe. I'm the spiritual, I'm the pastor of this church and I don't tithe. And then uh, I, we counted it up. I had $155,000 worth of consumer debt. I had two car loans. I had two house payments because I hadn't sold my house in Kentucky. I had a bunch of credit cards. I was driving down Highway 7. This is one of the worst moments of my life. I was driving down on Highway 7 and my daughter calls me from Tennessee going, hey dad, so I got the last semester of, of school uh, and it's due next Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, babe, no problem. And I call Nelnet. And I say, hey, uh, so I need, I need uh, this last tuition, you know, this last semester. And they said, Mr. Bergen, you're tapped out. You have no more credit. And that's an, oh, turd moment. Yeah. And, uh, and so I panicked. I'm yeah. like, because I, I am not, I, I'm not going to call my daughter and say, you can't finish college. Right. Not after all, all that. I just can't do it. So I went home and I started digging through drawers and I found a, a, a Discover card that I had forgotten about. And I went to Chase Bank and I got a $9,000 cash advance at 28% interest. See, just, I don't know. You sighed at that and that's not helpful, all right? It's really judgmental is what it is. And uh, see what I have to work with. But it's in the past, right? Yeah. I know. It is in the past, but then, so that was like the crown jewel, but 155000 and so, uh, and I like, it can't be fixed. And I remember when I stood up in front of the church, I said, this is my life, and I can't ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to go first. And so I met with you, and I told them, I'm going to work this out, and if yeah. not, I've instructed the elders to say, go, go find a better leader, because I'm, I can't do this. And so we started working on it. Yep. Right there. And so what did that, what did that, what did that, what did that process look like? Very similar to that medical appointment when you're 50. <laughs> right. <laughs> Men, you got me? Yeah, you got me there, right? So, uh, very intrusive. And so, um, that's pretty good. Yeah. Right? So, we, we laid it out. And so, we had fixed, fixed cost, right? Yeah. These aren't going away. You can't pray about them. You can't call, discover, and go, can we just forget it? And they, no, all right? So, right. these are the loans and things like that. And then, you had the other thing, uh, called just life, like you have to eat food and yeah. you have to put gas in the cars and all that right. kind of stuff. And, and that, that's just what I was most worried about mm -hmm. is that I thought you were going to come back and go, all right, if you ever want to be out of debt, then basically uh, it's just going to be this, uh, just this horrible life for the next five or six years uh, where you, uh, just, you're only going to eat beans and rice mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to stay at home and there's no cable and there's no, right. you know. And you can go to the library. So, yes, right. right. Don't be overdue. Right. And, uh, so it's like, like that. That's, and I, I can't do that. I've got right. kids. And, and nobody got, can, like, right? right? But this is what I create in my head. Right, right. right? You're just going to just be. And, the hermit. Uh, yeah, and everything you said. So what, what's a realistic number for this? 
mm-hmm. for, for eating out right. and for groceries and right. for this and that. And so then you put us on a budget. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then we started working that budget. And your wife's love me ever My so. wife still hates you. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't like you several <laughs> times, uh, but... Uh, but it was hard. It was really hard because it would be like, I get an email going, so why did you spend $30 at Target? I'm like, Robin, hair products, it's not me. Uh, right. So, uh, <laughs> but when you walked out of my office, yeah. when we had a plan, tell me, tell me what that feeling felt like, even if it was... Yeah, just, so when I walked out of your office, because we didn't do it in one afternoon. It took several days to get it all figured and out. And several months for all the Yeah, I kept finding new stuff. Hey, there's another one. And, right. uh, and I, but I never felt judgment from you, and I never felt uh, shame. From you, I had a lot on myself that I had to forgive myself for. But uh, so for the first time, when I walked out after we, Rob and I sat down with you with our budget, my, my, my debt hadn't changed at all. Nope. No, the dollar amount. We hadn't paid anything. No, but I, for the first time I had hope. Yeah. Hope, you just, know. Just a little bit. Yeah. There was some. It's like, and it took six years, right? And I had to go find other work. So I work here and then I had to find other work mm-hmm. to bring in some stuff to, to, mm-hmm. to put on that yep. too. So, cause my, my salary wasn't going to touch that. No. Right. Right. Elders. Did you hear that? And, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding on that. Um, so we started working on it and I remember the first time, I think we paid off uh, like a little school loan, like $1,200 or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. And we paid that off and that was like, that was like Christmas. Yeah. Cause we, we it was a baby step cause we yep. still had a, you know, hundred. 35,000 more to go, whatever. And we just kept doing that over, over and, and over, over and over again. Right. And then we finally got it paid off, and what did that feel like? Freedom. Absolute freedom. Yeah. And, but I, I have to watch it because I can go back. Mm-hmm. Because there's part of me inside of it that still says, but I, let's, let's go back to that, all right? So what's that, what is a healthy vision that we should all even aspire for? Because I, there are some stupid decisions I made in that, you know, but... Mm-hmm. But when people show up in your office, what, what are you trying to like paint for them? Because honestly, most of that debt was, I was trying to take good care of my family. Mm-hmm. I, I want my kids to go to school. I want them to have decent clothes. I want them to ride around in a safe car. Right. I want to I go on a vacation, you right. know, because those are memories and I only have them for a little while, right? right. So all, most of that was really, you know, it was well-intentioned. Yep. But it, sure. then it... Then it it backfired on me, but so what is like, like, what is a vision you're trying to paint for? What would it look like if, if we had a, a life that was even close to what Jesus said? Yeah, so true? if I had a blank piece of paper for everybody and, and, you know, you're just 23 years old, fresh out of college, no, no debt. Here's what I'd say. First of all, I want to give, I want to give 10%, right? So whether that's to the church or somewhere else, and I think it's the church. And why is, why is giving important? Because God has imprinted that upon us, right? God is, when we're, when we're born, when we're made, God has imprinted his, his spirit in us. And so he's, he's created us to give, right? And so it's not all for ourselves, right? So the first thing I want to do is I want to give, okay. right? And, and so again, in, in a perfect world, that's 10%. And then I want to save because when I retire, I don't want to be a burden upon others. I don't want to knock on my kid's door and go, hey, can I live in your basement? I don't want to do that. So I want to save. And the rest of it, as I want to, I want to spend, I want to enjoy. I want to enjoy that that abundant life that, that, that Jesus promised, right? And so that's, that's going up to the mountains, that's, that's skiing, that's going mountain biking, that's spending time with my family, going on vacations, eating out, all that birthday parties, all that fun stuff. I want to enjoy that. Right. I want to have a good time. Yeah, so, and that doesn't matter if you make $10 or a million dollars, right? No, it's like, right. so, so $10, because it's easier math for me. Right, sure, sure. You know, so if I'm 12 years old here, it's like, I got $10. One, I'm going to give to Jesus. One, I'm going to put in savings. And eight, I'm going to blow. Yeah. If I want, right? Yeah. Any way I want. Right. So that, so, so let's say that, that 
Rob and I come in or anybody comes in, again, everybody's different, single mom, single dad, right. married, you know, blended family. We sure. have all kinds of scenarios, right? We end up in, in your office, all right? So what does that conversation look like? So what, what, describe what's going on. So let's just, a husband and wife come in. Yep. What, what is it that you, where, where do you go? Because we know that outside is just reflecting about something else. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep asking questions to, to kind of peel back that layer of the onion to go, what is it that you're that you're really struggling with here. And for, for a lot of people, it's, this is the way I was raised. Either I wasn't raised with, with a lot of money and therefore I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna be able to spend, I wanna be able to do this, or I had this experience with my family and I wanna be able to replicate that. So there's this sense of, I wanna be able to live, right? So I wanna have peace, I wanna have security, I wanna have fun, whatever that, that, that is. And so I have, I have two different kinds of people that come into my office, two different couples, let's say. The first is they're, they're both spenders. So we're, yeah, we're, we're blissfully running our lives over the financial cliff and we don't come into your office or don't think we need to do that until we've totally crashed. Right. Yeah. So, so, so Rob and I are blissful spenders. Yeah. All right. But we're different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. We're different, yeah. So this, Robin spends like this. There are 10 Amazon boxes on my porch every week, that smiley face yep. box, like at least 10. There's probably one. I don't know if to deliver on Sunday. If so, right, you got it's it. there, okay? Right. I don't do that. I, I buy trucks. Right. Which I think is better uh, <laughs> because it's useful. And, right. Uh, yeah. But it still gets you to the same place. Yeah, sure. Right. So then you've got the people that, that one is the spender and one is the saver, right? And, and normally, this is not being sexist, but from, which, from what I Email know. Email him. Right, Email From what Michael. I know is that... The wife is the saver most of the time, and the man is the spender, right? And so I always ask this question. I know. I always ask this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, what, what is your stress in your life? 10 being I can't sleep at night. And the, and the woman invariably goes, it's a 9. I can't sleep at night. I think about this all the time. And sometimes there's, there's two men. One, one guy will, will go, mine's a 2. <laughs> At which point, this is really hard for me, at which point I go, you don't, you don't need me right now. Eventually you will. You need to go get some marriage counseling because this communication is broke because this tells me I, I don't want to be here. The second, the second guy is, yeah, it's an eight. It's an eight. And I go, great, let's, let's, let's talk about this. And so really coming to my office is that intent. Do I want things to change? Yeah, I filled out the budget worksheet you asked me to fill out. I'm, I'm ready to go. I want this to change in my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you talked about this last night. You, you usually talk directly to the husband. Why, yeah. why is that? Because he's the spiritual leader of the house, right? And so I always for, t- for better or worse. For better or for worse. And so at the end of, at the end of when, I'm, when I'm meeting with a couple or at the end of my financial workshop, I look and I go, hey, men, this is on us. We have to spiritually lead our house, right? Which means that you need to tell your wife, or your significant other, whatever that, that might be, hey, we, we need to sit down at the kitchen table every Tuesday at 7 o'clock or whatever day that, that is, and we need to talk about our finances. And that's it. Your, your responsibility. When you say spiritual leader, you're not saying he should make more money than her. No. She, she might be a doctor or like a lawyer. No, right? and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that he needs to be the CFO or the controller of the house either. He's not, he doesn't have to do that. He just needs to say, we need to get this in order, and we need to meet every month to talk about this. And then she is the, the spender, she's the controller, she's the CFO, she runs, she buys everything. She can run that meeting from that point forward, but it's his job. So to when make you say sure that to that, a couple in today's world, what's yeah, the response? The guy puffs up, 
I can do this, right? Because we're all, we're all built that way, right? And the woman goes, thank you. I've been waiting. I've, I've been waiting. And the tear rolls down the face. And she goes, thank you. And, he, and she looks at him and she goes, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. You better do this. <laughs> you better do this. But it's a really good moment. Okay. And, and, and he goes, I will do it. And, I, and again, like Bob, he's not a bad person. He just, life has just bumped into him all kinds of di- different directions. But now we've, got, now we've got a plan. Okay. I want to talk about one thing really specific. And we're almost out of time. But it's, I'm not Ben. Ta-da. All right. So, uh, so you and I, were, we were raised in a world that's very different than today. Yeah. Like, so like... Uh, like there was school sports mm-hmm. and that's all, right? Yeah. And now, you know, it's like there's elite level this and traveling mm-hmm. this and there's gymnastics. We have to go to Texas mm-hmm. and we have to go to play volleyball in yep. California yeah. and, we have to, and you have to be on five teams, all right? Yep. So when you sit down, because I want to talk about strategy, about what steps is like that. Here's the thing, all right? And this is what I feel so much, I guess, I, heaviness or burdens for, for parents in this, in this world. It's like, how do you look at your kids when you get on a financial plan and go, I know everybody else on our yeah. block. I know everybody else in your class is on five baseball teams or three gymnastics teams, and they, they're going to these five camps this summer at $2,000 a week, blah, 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 blah. But, but we're, you're not. Because I just... See if I empathize. It feels like I'm a bad parent yeah. if I'm not doing everything. Because my kids, I want them to be happy. So how do you even address that? Yeah. First of all, my 12, 13, 14-year-old, whatever the case may be, doesn't run my house. They're not the parent. I'm the parent. Write that down. And I also, and I also know, you need, you need to hear this. L- listen, your, your 12, 13, 14-year-old, whatever that might be, they understand that there's tension in the house, that mom and dad are fighting and fighting over a moment. They feel that. They're not stupid. And so sit with, down with your, with your kids at an age-appropriate discussion and go, mom and dad are trying to figure some things out financially. That doesn't mean that... We're going to be homeless or we're not going to have enough money to eat. But we're going to see, we're, things need to change, right? Yeah. So we're going to do our part as parents and we're going to make some really hard decisions. We're going to scale back. Instead of that competitive, you know, baseball league, we're going to play Little League this year, right? I hope to play competitive next year, but I, we'll see. But we all need to be a part of that solution. And, and you'll be surprised. Your, your, your kids may grumble about it, but they'll feel really, really a part of the family to go, mom and dad are including me. In, in this. Yeah, and let's be fair. If you're going to ask your kids to make those kind of sacrifices and you're going to play $200 rounds of golf, it, they're going to notice that too. Oh, yeah. You, right? You've got to lead out, right? So, so let's start because we're a minute over. But what, where do you start? Like, give me two or three steps. Like if we walked out of here going, okay, we want, we want a better life. Okay? Yep. So give us, give us two, maybe three steps. Where, where, where do we start? Yeah, so the first, strategy. So the first strategy to do would be uh, there's a financial workshop coming up uh, here at the Lafayette campus in the West End. Uh, on December 2nd, sign up for that, right? December 2nd, sign up for that. For that. Um, the second thing is... Uh, that, so if it fills and, up? And if it fills up, we'll have another one uh, December 9th at the West Campus up in, up in Genesee. And if it fills up? And it fills up, I'll, I'll, I need to have a Christmas break and then I'll, I'll pick it up in January. We'll just keep going until everyone gets a chance to go... I feel like my finances are on a, on a better foot. And I think there's like a $20. Yeah, there's a $20 fee. Look, if you go, I can't, I can't rub two nickels together. I'm totally broke. There's scholarships available. Oh, you charge it. <laughs> no, don't do that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. The second thing is, the second, this, the second thing I want you to do is I want you to do nothing. Which I mean by that is don't make it worse. Don't go, well, I'm going to go to the workshop on December 2nd, so I'm just going to go on a two-week bender. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that. 
Don't do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. And, and the third thing I want you to do is, is anticipation of the class. Or if you, even if you're not going to the class, you just want to get a better handle of your finances, do, do this. Go back with the last three months and go, how much money did I, did, I, did I pull in? How much money do I make? And how much money did I spend? And write it all down or download it off of Quicken or QuickBooks or Mint.com or whatever that is for you. And then put it in a budget format, which you can get online at, at, at our website, and go, where does this all stack up? So that if you do go to the class, you can go, I'm light years ahead of where I would have been had I just walked in cold turkey. Or, or I or I'm, can now sit down with my spouse and have that conversation. Okay. Or have that conversation with me if I'm single. Okay, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. It's like people hate to hear churches talk about money. Mm-hmm. Okay, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being tempted by Satan. Yep. And, and Jesus' response was, don't put the Lord your God to the test, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. But there's this one verse in the Bible where God says, except for this one area, yeah. and it's money, right? Yep. Malachi 3 says, so, so bring, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I want you to talk about it. There yep. may be food in my house. Test me in this. And that's a financial thing. And then says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. So, so I want you to talk about this really, really quick, all right? See, people, I don't know what church you grew up in. I don't know what anybody gives here. I don't have dinner with the rich people. I honestly have said, put a wall between me and that because I don't ever want to be accused of, yeah, he pays attention to them because I don't know what you give, all right? Unless you tell me and then I'm like, that's not enough. That's that's not true. (laughs) That's not true. I'm kidding on that. Um, So let's talk about about tithe Mm -hmm. and then talk about what that means and and talk about blessing. Mm -hmm. and And then here's the other part of this, okay? If somebody walks in, this church is bigger than the town I grew up in. Yeah. Okay, really. So, so when I when I came to my my home church back in Indiana could fit in the front three rows here on Easter. All right, that's a big crowd. All right, and so uh, you walk into a place like Flatirons, you go, they don't need my money. Yeah, I mean we're barely you know getting by and stuff like that. Why would I want to put money in a place like like this? I mean, look, it's it's pretty, it's amazing. You yeah. Know? But so talk about why why tithe why yeah. why at Flatirons. And this is, your, this is your shot. Yeah, so let me talk about the Malachi 3.10 first. Yeah. And let me tell you what it's not. That, that is not, hey, put $10 in the bucket or $100 in the bucket or whatever that is for you. And then two weeks later, you go to your mailbox and the publisher's clearinghouse is giving you a check for $20,000. That might happen. You, you might start to give to God and you, you may be blessed financially. And if that is, that's great. Awesome. That's, that's, that's not what it means. What it means is when you give, you're connected to God, right? So when you walk by the bucket, even if it's just a dollar, God, I'm thinking about you. Mm. Uh, I, I, I love you. And here's my $1, $10, whatever that might be. The flip side of that is I'm working my plans to create more margin so that I can give more, I can save more, I can do whatever it is, right? Well, see, my budget was I'm going to get to you. As soon as I get this paid off and I'll make yeah. it up or something right. like that. And then I never, never did. So you're saying even if it's a dollar. Yeah, it's just I'm, I'm thinking begin by giving something, right? Yeah. And, then, and then work your plan so that you can continue to give more and more and more. So it's $10, it's $100. And not for flat irons, but for the glory of God, right? So, so the word of Jesus can be spread, so, right? So, so, so why so, flat irons? So that's the, so that's the, but the storehouse in there that, that Malachi 3.10 talks about, that, that's the temple in the Old Testament, right? That's, that's the local church. And so when I read that, I go, that's, that's Flatirons. That's the local church. And so that's my, that's my tithe, right? right? So why Flatirons, right? When I look around here in Lafayette or any other campuses, I go, wow, looks, looks pretty good. These guys don't need my money. I mean, we got a, we got a great sound system, moving lights, handsome pastor. We seem to have it all, <laughs> Right? And that would be true, and that would be true 
if we're just going to circle the wagons and this is all we want to do? I would, I would say we're fine, but that's not what we want to do. Look, Flatirons is about a movement mm. and where we're going and, and, and where we want to be. So do your friends in Greeley want to have that opportunity? How about Fort Collins? How about Highlands Ranch? How about Parker? The list goes on and on. How about, how about my friends in Phoenix, Arizona or Dallas, Texas or whatever that might be. And so I, I would say this, when we did the bricks campaign, we, when, we, when, we, when we built this building here, you got the same brick, whether you gave $40 or $400,000, right? The church needs everyone to be a part of it, whether, again, whether it's $1 or a million dollars. Begin by giving something, right? Because mm-hmm. we're doing something super special. God, God has, look, God has specially anointed or blessed or whatever word you want to do, this man right here, right? Do, do, do we agree with that, right? And as good of a, of a teacher as Jim is, I can tell you when, I, when I'm with him five days a week, Monday through Friday, he's an even better leader. And so I, I want to leverage what God is doing through Jim, right? Before he falls apart. Before he falls apart with his shoulder, right? To reach as many people, not for Flatiron's glory. Yeah. It's not about Flatiron's. This is for the glory of Jesus and to get his message that God does not love us. God does not hate us. He loves us, right? So let's do that. Hey, give it up for Michael Kane. Thanks, Michael. Give me a hug. Hey, thanks. So let's uh, so get your papers out real quick, all right? So and some of you don't even need to do this because it's in your head you've been thinking about it for, for a long time. So, so the best teacher other than Michael I've ever heard about money and God um, is my old pastor back in Louisville, Kentucky. His name's Bob Russell. He's just fantastic. And I remember sitting with him one time and he goes, hey, Jim, you know what? When I talk about money, you know what I see go up? And I thought, offering. And he said, nope, baptisms. Because if you can trust God with this part of your life, what are you going to hold back? Right, and that, again, if you're 12 years old, get on the front edge of this. Don't wait till you're old like me to go, now I'm in such debt, to, 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 to go into this. If you're new, newly married, but even if you're on your second marriage or your blended family, whatever that is, is, is that I don't want you to feel panic like I felt, but there's a sense of urgency because anybody knows money is it's always moving and it's always changing. And today is the day to get started on that, not January. Today, so get get out your program. So let's just let's just work through it really really fast, and then we're going to sing a great song. Get out of here. First one is just be honest with yourself. Is there something going on in your finances that is absolutely there's no other word for it except it's sin because it's it's just so different than what God says is right, true, and good. And that's between you and God. Ask Him to forgive you, and ask Him to point out why, why I'm addicted to doing that over and over and over, and then ask Him to come close to you because you're so ashamed of yourself, and that, that you were not meant to walk around like that. So ask him to take that off of you. The second thing is, what is it going on inside of you? The second grace, what is that going on inside of you that thinks if I buy that or have that or fix that, then maybe that will accomplish this thing. And you know it's not true, but it's something that's broken inside of you. They're not gonna love you if you put them in baseball. They won't love you more and they won't hate you when you don't. They'll be mad, but you can't buy love. You know that. But why do we keep trying, right? And then ask him for the strength. Then follow him going, so what, what do you want? What, I, the vision. My vision is to be debt-free by February. Eh, not going to happen. So what is a reasonable vision going, what could my life look, what would it feel like in my life if I didn't walk around with this ball and chain all the time? And then are you ready for that to happen? 
Because usually you have to hit a wall or, you know, have to file bankruptcy or somebody threatens divorce or something like that before we pay attention to anything. Let's do this side of it, right? What would need to change? And then strategy. Sign up for that financial workshop. If you can't afford it, we'll just, just come for free. And when that one fills up, we'll do another one, another, another. So I'm president of this club, all right? Leaders go first. I cannot ask you to do anything that I wasn't willing to go first. I, I was absolutely in a pit. And I, I, my, my stress, my marriage, if, if I had not gone and sat down with Michael, I wouldn't be married to Robin. I wouldn't have these kids and grandkids living close to me. I wouldn't be the pastor of this church. Money's that big of a burden. So take a step. Take, take a step and then take another one and another and just see, see where it goes, okay? Let's stand up, all of our campuses. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing this great song. It kind of ties it together going, so there's a day coming when we're all gonna stand in front of Jesus. And you know, that's the worst thing I ever heard in church because I thought that's gonna be a bad day. Because here's what, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Here's the conversation I have with Jesus in my, in my head. Hey, Jesus, it's me. And he looks at me and goes, uh, I know I did it wrong. I did that wrong. I did that. I'm really, really, really sorry. And he's gonna look at me and going, well, you're saved by grace, so come on in. And he's, you know? And I'm like, all right. And I, and I kind of go in, and I just sit in a corner in heaven for a billion years, right? right? So I, I don't want that. This song is just about this picture of going, I go in front of him, I go, thank you for forgiving me, and thank you for helping me. And I'm a, whatever I have, I lay down like a crown in front of you, and he just accepts me. That's what I want. That's what I want. But I don't want to wait for it till after I'm dead. I want it in this life, all right? So God, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, shame and guilt and embarrassment and fear are going on in this room and in all of our campuses right now. So I just come against that in the name of Christ and just say that has no place in your kingdom. And so we lay that down and then we pick up Jesus and we say, we need your help. So we lay down pride and we lay down, you know, uh, uh, just you know, pride. The only thing that would cause us to not go get help is because we're just uh, too prideful. And so God, that has not gotten us anywhere. That strategy doesn't work. And so we come to you and we, we go to your word, we go to Jesus, we ask for help in this part of our life. And then maybe all the other parts will start healing too. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.